Good to see you. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Kings chapter 19, Old Testament. I'm excited pretty soon. I promise we're going to start a new book of the Bible that I'm really excited about. And it's not 2 Corinthians, though we will get there after this upcoming book. I just wanted to give a break in between 1 and 2 Corinthians because they're two separate letters, two different times. And so let 1 Corinthians breathe and then we'll get back in. But really excited to start a new book of the Bible pretty soon. So 1 Kings chapter 19. Why 1 Kings chapter 19? Well, a couple of weeks ago, as you may remember, I was in Israel and the Lord really ministered to me um, on top of Mount Carmel. And there's this and we're going to talk a little bit about it today, um, out of 1 Kings chapter 18. And I really thought this morning I would teach out of 1 Kings chapter 18. But as I read 18 and then I go into 19, the Lord just really began to stir my heart um, for something else. that I th- Initially, I thought it was one thing. And the Lord's like, no, 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 I want you to share this um, because it's the work that the Lord's doing in me. And I pray that this word ministers to you. So before we dive into chapter 19, I want to set the stage for us all, kind of see where have we been, what's going on, what's taking place up until this point. So this story is a story about a prophet named Elijah. Elijah was a mighty prophet of God. He was used by the Lord in powerful ways to bring about revival and miracles to the nation of Israel. And Elijah at this point was starting to grow frustrated, frustrated. He's like praying, Lord, would you just move through the nation? But as he's praying, the people's hearts are not turning towards the Lord. They're turning from the Lord toward the worship of a false god named Baal. And Baal was a Phoenician god. And um, as and, and, and Baal's kind of taken the, the, the heart, pulling the heartstrings of the nation of Israel, for lack of a better term. And, and Elijah's praying, but while he's praying, he says, God, recapture like the affection and the attention of the nation. All of a sudden, all these schools of ministry and discipleship schools and Bible colleges were all popping up, all for the discipleship of these false prophets for Baal. Oh, no. In fact, when our story picks up, there were 450 false prophets who stood against Elijah. And chapter 18 of 1 Kings is deemed probably one of the most action-packed chapters. It's it's an amazing chapter uh, in all of the Bible. And I'm not going to read it this morning. I'm going to summarize it. But what we have there is Elijah standing before 450 false prophets. One man, Elijah, man of God, prophet of God, 450 false prophets. And he says to these guys, he's talking to King Ahab, he's talking to these false prophets. He says, hey, let's have kind of a prophetic showdown, if you will. Like, let's see, like, if you really think, you know, Baal is all that and a bag of chips, like, great. But um, I think the Lord is amazing, right? And so um, let's have this kind of showdown. Let's kind of a one, let's kind of a, let's go into the arena, right? And let's duke it out a little bit, but duke it out kind of sacrifice style. And so he's like, let's build an altar, Let's build an altar and then let's, let's, let's cut up the bowl, right? Let's, let's get the wood and we'll build. And then we're going to pray. You're going to pray for you 450 prophets. You're going to pray for Baal to rain down fire from heaven, right? And we're just going to determine who really is the Lord and the prophets of Baal. They're like, yeah, I, we'll, we'll take you up on that bet. Um, let's, let's do this. They had so much confidence in who Baal was and, and their worship of him and just everything, even though he can bring about rain, but whatever. Um, <laughs> they, were in a, they were in a drought by, by this time. But so that, that's what they do. They, they go, 
They build an altar. They, they get the wood. They chop up the wood. They find two bowls, right? Elijah even lets them pick. Hey, you can, you can have your pick. Whatever bowl that you want, they chop it up. They place it on the altar. And the Bible tells us that from morning until noon, they prayed, they prayed, they chanted, and nothing happened. And I love Elijah because Elijah has a sense of humor here. He kind of looks at these false prophets and he's like, psst, psst. like, maybe your God is asleep right now. Like, you might need to wake him up. Like, he's not responding to you. This is the Bible. I'm not making that up. He literally said that. He also said, and I find this really comical, he's like, or maybe Baal's on the toilet. Like, really, like he's relieving himself in the restroom. That is the literal translation. Or maybe Baal's on a journey and he's distracted. Maybe you guys should shout a little louder. Maybe, maybe then he'll rain down fire from heaven, right? And so the prophets get together and they're like, they're probably stressing out. They're probably, you know, feeling, oh man, this isn't looking too good. And in a very bleak section of scripture, this picture, they start pulling out knives and lances and they start cutting themselves. And it's demonic, Demonic, and they start bleeding, and they, they're just going all in for this, but Baal still doesn't answer them. And so now it's Elijah's turn. Uh-oh. 450 guys just came up empty. Elijah's turn. He takes 12 stones, and he builds an altar, one stone for each of the tribes, tribes of Israel. He chops up the wood. He chops up the, the bowl. He places it on, and then he does something really, really interesting. He turns to one of his servants and he says, hey, why don't you go fetch for me four pails of water? We're going to dump that on the altar. And if, and if you're like one of the servant guys, you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, let me make sure I am understanding you. We're trying to get fire, right? Not repel it. And uh, so, so, but Elijah's like, hey, we're trusting the Lord. And so they do, they go and grab four pails and Elijah's like, dump one on. You know, he's like, do another one. You know, he's like, the third time he dumps on waters everywhere. There's, there's a trench going on. There's just water all over the altar. And then Elijah prays. Because God's not limited to the water, right? God prays. And I, I no more than 15 seconds into his prayer, fire rains down from heaven and consumes everything. The stone, the wood, the bull, everything. All of the water is, is, is taken away. The Lord consumes the sacrifice. And Elijah looks at these 450 prophets. He says, seize and arrest them. Take them away. And they're all taken down to the brook Kishon where Elijah oversees the execution of all 450 false prophets of Baal. This is an incredible, incredible story of the power and the miracle working of God. Wow. But there's a problem. Because the king in Israel at the time was King Ahab. Ahab was a wicked queen, a king, and, and with him was a wicked queen named, anyone know? Jezebel. If you don't know anything about the Bible, just know this. Anytime you see her name in scripture, it's not in the positive light, okay? She's that wicked. She's actually the one who brought in and introduced Baal from her Phoenician background, her heritage, to the nation of Israel. She wanted this to be the, the new world religion for Israel, and it spread like wildfire. So no doubt Jezebel, she hears about this prophetic showdown. This would have been a huge event in their day and she would be in the palace probably pacing. Ahab's probably there watching it go, go down and she's waiting for Ahab to get home. She's, I don't know if she's nervous. Maybe she's confident in the flesh and all of those things, but whatever. She's probably waiting and then Ahab comes home. Babe, how'd it go? <laughs> and Ahab looks at her probably and says, it didn't go well. Elijah won. <laughs> Elijah won. We lost. 
are you kidding me? Like, you know, hey, it even gets worse. 450 of your boys, they're all dead. All of your prophets are dead. And as you read this, you can just imagine Jezebel starting to fume, starting her blood starting to boil. The God of, of Israel just, just miraculously came through for the prophet Elijah and 450 of her prophets were exposed and executed. And that is where we're picking up in our story this morning in chapter 19. You think Elijah would be feeling really good, right? Look at verse one of chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Crazy. Look at verse three. And he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and had come to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Elijah gets his death warrant. He finds out that he is a dead man walking. And I wonder for us this morning, how many of us can relate to Elijah here? You get bad news and you're afraid. Right? You've just seen God do the miraculous, but you get this, this bad news, right? This devastating news, and you're freaked out. Like, what do you do? What do you do when you hear bad news? When the doctor calls, and it's bad news. When your kids call, and it's a, that hard relationship kind of conversation, and there's friction now in the family. What do you do when you get bad news from school? Fill in the blanks. You lose your job. Whatever it is. You see, the Christian life, if, if, if you're new to the Christian life, listen, it's, it's, it's not void of heartache. It's not void of conflict and struggle and crises and all of those things. But God, what we know, it allows them into our lives. And when we find ourselves in a position like Elijah, where we're receiving bad news, and I kind of feel bad for Elijah because Elijah's receiving this bad news for doing what God asked him to do. Sometimes we get bad news because it's our own doing, right? But Elijah's just trying to serve the Lord. Elijah's just trying to honor the Lord. Elijah's just trying to make much of God, right? And then bad news comes. That's not fair. I mean, at some point, you know, if I'm Elijah, I'm probably saying, like, what do you want me to do? Lord, like, what else do you want in my life? Like, I, here I am. I'm serving you. We're doing great ministry together, God. And now this? You've led me up to this point for, for this? I'm being obedient. You ever felt that way? God, I'm serving you. And, and now I get this? And he runs. Elijah runs. Listen, I can relate to that. When life gets hard, I have this little term I use. I want to run for the hills. You guys ever say that? I want to run for the hills. I want to find a cave. I'd be a lot like David. I'm not as emotional as David, you know, King David in the Psalms. But I'm a lot like him. I'm going to find a cave and I'm going to go hide, crawl in there and hide. And instead of going to the Lord, how often do we run from the Lord in these seasons? And Elijah, he ran. The Bible tells us he ran over 70 miles as far south as he could go in a city called Beersheba. And he's paranoid and he's worried for his life. He leaves his servant there in Beersheba and it says in verse four, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Church, don't overlook this. This Elijah, 
This mighty prophet of God is running from Jezebel right now. And he's so paranoid. And when he arrives there, you know, he, uh, he's like, that's not far enough. Beersheba is not far enough. I got to go another day journey all by myself. He doesn't even know where he's going, but he finds a cave. And I can just imagine he probably gets to this cave, maybe his back's towards the wall. And he just starts weeping, just, just upset, just overwhelmed. Can you relate? Can you relate to that feeling? And here he is saying, Lord, just kill me now. Lord, I'm done. I want to die. I'm finished. I'm done. This is God's man. This miracle after miracle after miracle, he was used mightily of the Lord. Like, what happened? What happened here? This isn't the, the Elijah that we know. This isn't the Elijah out on top of Mount Carmel. Right? This isn't, when we think of Elijah, this isn't him. He's not supposed to be like this. Like, he's not supposed to be worried. He's not supposed to be having this crisis of faith, feeling depressed and helpless and hopeless. And here he asked to die this day. God's man finding himself in the pit of despair, depressed and alone. And he prays, Lord, take my life. Over the years, if I'm honest with you, I've struggled with this story. I have struggled with this because it didn't fit the framework of who I believe that God wanted to use in life. We like to think, and I like to think sometimes, and it's faulty, that God only uses like perfectly packaged people. People that have it all together. People that don't struggle in faith. They don't struggle in belief. They don't waver. They don't have a bad day. They're just mountaintop. They're just leaping, kind of like Mario, right? Like leaping from one mountaintop to the other. They never touch the valley, unless I'm playing Mario, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but listen, the Bible tells us that God uses broken. He uses the empty. He uses weak vessels. You know why? Because his glory is best displayed through those people. And here is Elijah, and I'm comforted by this. And in the New Testament, in the book of James, James says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. With a nature like ours. You see, I believe James knew that one day we would be here on May or February. <laughs> like, what month are we? <laughs> February the 5th, 2023, reading about Elijah. And I think James would know that we would read this that Elijah's depressed, Elijah's scared, Elijah's weak, and all of these things. He's depressed. He's in this season of just, just loneliness. And James reminds us that even the best of the best in our eyes are just like you and I. They're just like us. They're frail, they're weak. They go through bouts of depression, despair, and they question and they don't answer, they don't understand everything. Let me ask you again this morning, do you, can you relate? Can you relate to Elijah? I can. Listen, I don't always understand why God does the things that he does. I don't understand why God gives me the bad news when he gives me the bad news. I don't understand why God delays in his aid. God, I'm, I'm asking. But when I read stories like 1 Kings chapter 19, I say, Lord, you are still so good and faithful. And we're going to see that in a little bit. And you delight, Lord, in my weakness. Let me say that again. The Lord delights in our weakness. When we come to the end of ourselves and we acknowledge that we don't, we don't have it in us, that's when the Lord does his best work through broken, empty, weak, open vessels. 
I think of 2 Corinthians 4, 7, where Paul would say, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. You see, God still loved Elijah. And I want you to know this morning, in case we, as we go on, you miss this, God still loves you if you're, if you're in this place of depression and, it, and just filled with anxiety and fear. And even though Elijah finds himself in this pit of despair, God still loved him. He goes through great lengths to minister to him. And we're going to see that in just a second. And maybe that's going to be a word for you. No matter, listen, no matter how fast you can run, God is still faster. No matter how deep that you think your pit of despair might be this morning, God's love is so much more deep and it will reach at any length to get you. And this is where faith steps in. We have to believe and know that the Lord loves us, that he has a plan for us, that he wants to use us, the promises of his word we have to hold on to. And listen, we're, we're not perfect. He knows that we're not perfect. The question is, are we trying to be perfect? Sometimes we feel like we have to have it all together for, in order for God to use us and bless us and love us and all of these things. Stop putting on a charade. Take off the mask, if you will. The Lord already knows you. He knows you more than you know yourself. We don't have to be perfect. Elijah wasn't perfect, but God outran him. God found him. And I'm so grateful that God didn't answer his prayer because if he did, we wouldn't, we wouldn't see the rest of the story. We wouldn't see the redemption plan. We wouldn't see that Elijah still had the best days were still ahead for Elijah. And, and, and let, that, let us just take courage in that. And like, when God doesn't answer our prayers all of the time or the way that we want to, don't lose hope. God's still at work. Take joy in unanswered prayers. Sometimes we ask for things we shouldn't, right? The Bible tells us we ask amiss. Sometimes we ask for things that are not God's will. And he's like, no. And sometimes it's just not his timing. But take joy in unanswered prayer because the Lord knows when and how to best answer our prayers. Look at verse five. Our story continues. He's in the cave. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, arise and eat. Arise and eat. Verse six. Then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And so he ate and he drank and he lay down again. How crazy is this? The Lord meets Elijah right where he's at. Elijah ran 70 miles. He falls asleep under this tree. He wakes up and the angel of the Lord like prepares like this meal for him. He, br he brings him food. He prepares a fire. He brings jars of water. And Elijah's like, oh man, this has got to be great, right? No, he's still depressed. He eats and then he falls back asleep. Have you ever been there? <laughs> just like, no, I'm too, I'm too, just, I'm done. Look, look, look at verse seven. And then the angel of the Lord came again, a second time and touched him and said, arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. I love this church. That the Lord, the angel of the Lord, and maybe this is, is Jesus himself appearing. Um, anytime you see the angel of the Lord, it might actually be a Christophany. And it might be Jesus. I don't know. But definitely the Lord is using this angel to meet Elijah right where he was at. Let me repeat that again. When you find yourselves in deep, dark seasons of life, the Lord desires to meet you right where you're at, not wait for you on the other side. 
This is the loving kindness of the Lord working with us where we are and not waiting for us to be where we should be. Elijah's depressed. He's in a pit of despair, wanting to end his life. The Lord sends an angel to meet him and he says, Elijah, you've got a journey too great for you that's ahead of you. So Elijah's at this crossroads. He knows he has to make a decision. He's well aware that he's reached the end, right? He is, he, there's nothing else that Elijah could give. He couldn't even see himself in ministry anymore in his life. And the Lord says to him, Elijah, it's too great for you. And you know, Elijah says, yep, I know. I agree with that, Lord. And it's in this moment that Elijah had this revelation, this understanding. It was like he, he was brought back to the basics. That as much as Elijah was used over the years powerfully and mightily for the Lord, he had to come to the end of himself and he had to recognize for himself that it was the Lord altogether moving in his life. It had nothing to do with Elijah. It was all about the Lord. There was nothing about the, the miracles that were contingent on Elijah and his faith. It was all about God. And so he reaches this end and the Lord is saying, Elijah, I, I can do something great, something significant through broken vessels, through people who are just broken and they're done with themselves. I think of Oswald Chambers. He once said that God can't use a man greatly until he's wounded him deeply. And if you're like, whoa, I, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Like God wants to wound me. Listen, God's not wanting to wound you to hurt you. He's wanting you to break, to get over you, like to get over yourself. To come to the end of yourself and that's where the Lord can pick up and do mightily, mighty things through you. And that's where Elijah's at. And, and here the Lord says, Elijah, I'm ready to use you. Lord, I can't go on. I know, but I'm ready to go on for you. Verse eight, and so he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Oreb, the mountain of God. He's in this depression season, following God, some 200 mile journey now for 40 days, 40 nights. And he went and he landed at Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. That's where the Lord met Moses, 10 commandments, the whole thing took place there. Verse nine, and then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> you know, I find it interesting in scripture, anytime the Lord asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer to it, okay? This isn't the first game of like hide and seek ever recorded in scripture. <laughs> like, Lord, what are you doing here, Elijah? If you guys remember the story of Adam and Eve, this is the famous story that we all come back to. We all know the story. Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord. They listened to the lie of the serpent. They sinned against God. And it was at that point they realized that they were naked. They were filled with shame for the very first time. They sewed together fig leaves, right, to cover themselves up, right? They're in a bad place. And one day we're told, the Bible tells us in, in Genesis chapter three, that the Lord is walking in the cool of the day. The Lord is there and they heard his movement and the Bible tells us that they hid from the Lord. Try that. Maybe you're trying to hide from the Lord this morning. Maybe you're trying to hide from the Lord in your life. Listen, it doesn't work, okay? <laughs> Spoiler. And it's there though, that God there in the garden calls out to Adam and says, Adam, where are you? God already knew where Adam was. <laughs> God asks these questions because he wants us to verbalize where we are. 
He wants us in a way to confess and acknowledge where we are. Again, he didn't need to ask, where are you, Adam? He didn't need to ask Elijah, what are you doing here? But he asked these questions because he wants us to know that he knows where we are. And there's comfort in that, church. When the Lord asks you, when the Lord asks me, like, Ryan, where are you? He knows what I'm doing. It's kind of like with our kids. Like, sometimes we're like, um, I'm trying not to, my kids are all in here, so I'm not going to use a name. Um, it's just like, <laughs> what did you just do, right? You know, especially when they were younger, what did you just do? We already know what they did. <laughs> we're just trying to get them to confess it, right? That's what the Lord is wanting of us. When he asked you that question this morning, where are you? What are you doing here? Maybe you're running from him. What are, you, what are you doing? Maybe you're trying to hide and you're trying to cover up your shame. What are you doing? The Lord knows, but he wants you to know that he knows. And Elijah, though, he fails the test with this question. Look at verse 10. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. Side note, that is not true. Elijah knows it's not true. There, was, uh, there, were, there were many other uh, prophets of the Lord. Still, but this is his dramatic, you know, dark, dark night of the soul thing. I'm alone left, and they seek my life to take it away. So here, Elijah, he's laying out this sob story. The Lord's just simply asking, Elijah, like, what are you doing? And what does Elijah do? He talks about all the great things that he's doing for the Lord. And the Lord is saying, Elijah, I don't care about all the great things that you're doing for me if your heart isn't in the right place with me. I want you to know that. It's not about all of the things, the outwardly things that you're doing for the Lord. The Lord's like, Elijah, I care about your heart. I care about you, not the things that you do, not the ministry that you're involved with. Sure, I want all of those things that you're involved in, all of the ministry and all of those things to be a direct response of your love for me and my love for you. Nothing more, nothing less. It's not about the activities. It's not about your great works. It's not about how busy your life can be. Why? Because it's covering up, Elijah, the true issues of your heart, that you're far from me right now. You're far from me, but I'm here with you, Elijah. And I'm gonna show you that I'm here. I'm not giving up on you. You're depressed. You, Elijah, you're asking me to kill you, but I'm not giving up on you. I'm, not, I'm gonna let my love surround you, restore you. That's what my love does, Elijah. And Elijah would feel the presence of the Lord. He would feel the, the, the grace of God here. But again, the Lord is taking Elijah back to basics. And maybe that's what the Lord wants to do in your life to bring you back to basics. Listen, we never graduate from that childlike faith where we have this immense view of the glory of God. Our dad is big and he's up there and he's powerful. Like we never graduate from that. And maybe God wants to bring you back to the basics with him. Now keep in mind though that Elijah is is a man on the move, right? He's a mighty like, miracle worker from the Lord, fire from heaven. He's a mover and a shaker, all of those things. He was used to activity, right? He was used to busy. He was used to the, the big production for the Lord and all of those things. But God is getting him back to basics. Don't miss this next verse. Verse 11, he says, So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. 
but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Maybe your translation says, or it's better remembered as a still, small voice. That's when Elijah heard the Lord. A man that was used to the fire, the earthquakes, right? The wind and all the activities. Those were the things that defined his ministry. And the Lord says, it's not about those things, Elijah. It's not about those things. It's not about what you do for me. It's about hearing my voice. It's about intimacy. It's about intimacy. Jesus would use the term, it's about abiding. It's about abiding with me, remaining near me. That's what it's about. It's not about this. Hoorah, rah, Jesus. It's about being so close so you can hear the. Could you hear that? No, you got to come closer. Take off the microphone. <laughs> like, that's what it's about, being so intimately close with the Lord to hear his voice. That's the basics. Coming back to that place where it's just you and the Lord. Strip everything away. And maybe that's the call for you this morning. Maybe that's what you need to do in your life. Strip it all away and just get away with the Lord and say, Lord, I want to abide in you. I want to learn to remain in you, to be close with you. To hear, I want to, Lord, I want to hear that still small voice. Elise Fitzpatrick said this, the depressed don't simply need to feel better. They need a redeemer who says, take heart, my son, my daughter. What you really need has been supplied. Life no longer needs to be about your goodness, success, righteousness, or failure. I've given you something infinitely more valuable than good feelings. Your sins are forgiven. Listen, church, that still small voice, that gentle blowing is still speaking to you and I today. And if you're anything like me, we have so many voices of the wind surrounding our lives. So many clashing sounds all around us. Tension here, tension here, tension here. Do this, do this, do that. Do this. Ah. It leaves you spinning. So we have so much in our calendars. We have so many meetings and movements and errands and activities and it feels like our world at times can be shaking. We never slow down enough to hear from the Lord. We're stressed out. Listen, through it all, the Lord is still desiring to speak to us and to speak to you and to speak to me. He's speaking to us today. He'll speak to you tomorrow. He'll speak to you the next day and the next day and the next day. But notice this. He often speaks through the still small voice. He's not always in the earthquake. He's not always in, in the fire and all in the, in the big wind. And listen, if we're not hearing from the Lord, I challenge all of us with this question. Are we looking in the wrong places? Are we looking for the wrong thing? You know, we pray, and I, I, I pray this often, actually. Well, God, if you would just move in this huge, miraculous way for me, then I would just know that you're with me and that you're for me. You guys ever pray that? Like, Lord, if you would just part the waters. And he can. I don't want to poo-poo that. He is so powerful, and he can. 
But yeah, I, so often I'm looking for the earthquake and I'm looking for the wind and I'm looking for the fire. And all the Lord wants to remind us this morning is that, listen, I'm speaking to you today. You're only, you're so focused here. And I'm like, I'm right here. I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you. I'm, some, you know, some of us, I'm guilty of this. We never stop talking. Are you guys guilty? Anyone guilty? Maybe a little bit sometimes, every day? No. Like we just talk, talk, talk. Lord, Lord, Lord. Lord's just calling us, shh. Listen. Listen to me. Come near. Come near me. You know, I think of how does the Lord speak to us? It's a good question. I don't know if you're, you're in this place where like, man, I just want the Lord to speak. Just, you know, how does the Lord speak? And I just want to share just personally three quick ways that the Lord has oftentimes spoken to me over the years. And number one, he speaks to me through people. Number one, many years you know, with Pastor Doug preaching, like uh, the Lord has used him just in a prophetic way in my life. Oftentimes with my wife, I told the first service this, that like, I feel like my wife has a more direct line to the Holy Spirit than I do. And so like, she's like, hey, babe, like, I think we really need to do this and step out in this way. I'm like, nah, I'm not hearing that. And then like three weeks later, I'm like, hey, I think we should do this. And, stuff. and she's like, I've been waiting for that. Like, come on, right? I, none of you can relate to that, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> No, sometimes the Lord uses mentors and pastors and spouses and kids through people, prophetically through people. Sometimes he uses, oftentimes I should say, his word. I love the psalmist in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The, the word of the Lord instructs us. Where, where, where should we go, Lord? The word of God is living and inactive, inactive. Through prayer, the Lord speaks. And oftentimes through confirmation, through the peace of his presence. I think of Paul writing in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so when you're praying about what to do in life, you're seeking the will of the Lord. Oftentimes, through prayer, he'll give you the peace that surpasses all comprehension, all understanding. It might not make sense on paper, but he gives you that peace, the assurance that you're going in the right direction, following after him. So the Lord, just that's just a brief thing. The Lord uses people in my life. The Lord uses the word of God in my life. And the Lord uses prayer in my life. Look at verse 13. He says, when Elijah heard it, that still small voice, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's that same question that the Lord asked. And it's through this process of asking questions that the Lord is, is communicating to Elijah what he wants him to do. Look, skip down to verse 15. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And we're not going to read the rest of it, but the Lord in essence is telling Elijah, I still have work for you to do. Lives, Elijah, I want you to minister to. People I want you to touch. You know, Elijah reached a transformative moment here where he saw the Lord pick him up from the, just the pit of despair, from a place of sorrow and anguish and depression, the point where he wanted to end his life. And let me remind you, that Elijah is a man just like us. And many believers, and you might be here, church, find themselves depressed 
And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're at a place where you feel like you can't go on. I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. Let me, let me, let me speak this over, over you. You can. Not because you're so powerful and great, but because he's so powerful and great. I think of the Apostle Paul when he would say in 2 Corinthians towards the end of the letter, you know, he's dealing with that thorn in the flesh. Satan was there, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And he's struggling, he's pleading, Lord, take this from me. Lord, I'm miserable with this thing. Lord, and what did the Lord tell him? Lord met him right where he was at. He says, hey, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Not my grace is a starting point for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Rely on my grace. My strength, the Lord tells Paul, is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is not made perfect in your strength, Paul. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Isn't that amazing? That the Lord's strength is perfected in our weakness? And as much as you feel this morning that maybe God has rejected you, listen, he loves you. He loves you. He's with you. And in fact, just like Elijah, he still wants to use you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Oh, I don't feel it right now. It doesn't matter how you feel. <laughs> it's who God is and what he wants to do through you. That's what he told Elijah. You know, if we were the judge here with Elijah, we would say, Elijah, you're out of here. Elijah, you're disqualified. Elijah, you're of worthless like to the kingdom of God, but not so with the Lord. Not so with the Lord. Elijah would go on after this moment and the greatest work would still be ahead of him. In, in fact, in chapter 19, Elijah would go on to, to anoint and call Elisha into the ministry to succeed him. And Elisha, we know, would go on to do even more and even greater works than Elijah. And God never answered Elijah's prayer because Elijah never died here on this earth. Elijah was taken to heaven in that chariot. How incredible is that? And in Matthew chapter 17, you know, the, uh, Jesus there on the mountain of transfiguration, He's revealing himself, Peter, James, and John. They're all there. Who does he tap in heaven to come, come down and be a witness for it? Elijah and Moses. How incredible is that? This is Elijah. God says, I have work, great works for you, Elijah. Great works in the book of Revelation. Chapter 11, Elijah is one of the two prophets that shows up during the tribulation. And he's going to minister. And he's going to speak forth and preach forth and do mighty works before a Christ-rejecting sinful world. God had the best days ahead for Elijah. And he didn't even know it at the time. And let me just say this. Let me close with this. If God can do it with Elijah Church, what can he do in our weakness? Not in our strength, not in our ability, not in the, the earthquakes, not in the fire. What can he do in our weakness when we go before the Lord back to basics when we get, remain with him, connected to him, abide with him, what does he want to do in your life? What does he want to do through your life? Don't disqualify yourself. Run to him. Run to him. Don't feel as if God won't and can't and refuses to use you. No, he desires to use you. Let that encourage you today. He's got great plans in store for each and every one of us. And he desires to redeem our brokenness, to redeem it all, so that his strength might be known.